All right, friends, welcome back to House Wine. Uh, this is a show for anyone who would like to know about wine, to learn about wine, uh, to drink good wine. Uh, my name is Rachel. I'm the host. I also write and produce this show, and I am a certified sommelier from Toronto. And I've got the pillow fort uh, all set up this evening so that we can talk about Chablis. Uh, but before we talk about Chablis, I posted an episode like two months ago and then just like completely disappeared off the face of the earth. And um, I wanted to thank all of you guys because in the interim, in the time that I didn't post anything, uh, my listen, my listens didn't go down at all. And I had um, basically the same engagement and the same engagement on the Instagram and the same engagement uh, with just listening to the podcast that I had when I was posting every week, uh, which was amazing because that meant, um, you know, that people were going back and listening to old episodes and I was getting new listeners and I had a lot of people reach out because uh, I know a lot of wine exams have started again. So a lot of people reaching out saying, you know, that I helped them study, which is literally the exact point of this podcast. Um, but the reason I didn't, I didn't post for a couple months is, and not to be macabre or not to be dark or anything, but uh, honestly, I was just um, a little depressed and, and feeling a little overwhelmed with work and just sort of coming out of the winter and just like not feeling 100%. And then podcasting was kind of the thing that... Uh, slipped by the wayside because even though I love doing this and I, you know, uh, it it's something that keeps my momentum going, you know, when I can get excited about the subject that I'm writing about, um, I feel excited and I feel engaged, but I kind of just like that excitement and that engagement just like tapered off for a couple months, but uh, summer. <laughs> Some summer, I'm using big air quotes. Summer is kind of here, and uh, lots of things are happening in my life, in my personal life, in my professional life. And I have this kind of I'm feeling I'm feeling like a maybe a bit of um like a renewed energy. Like I'm feeling that I am excited to study and sit down and read and write and and get everything out there. So long story short, <laughs> thank you guys. Thank everyone who was listening all throughout that time, all throughout that sort of like uh, that, that lull. Um, but we have some very fun episodes coming up. Uh, and we're going to kick it back off, resume season two, season 2.5 um, with Chablis. Because Chablis is amazing, and who doesn't want to know more about Chablis? It's the wine. So we have—I'll sort of kick off this episode by saying that we have kind of mildly talked about Burgundy uh, when we talked about Beaujolais, and Chablis is going to be an episode where we kind of gently dance around Burgundy again as we talk about a region that's part of Burgundy, but also that's kind of on the fringes of Burgundy. The one thing that makes Chablis slightly more Burgundian, I would say, than Beaujolais 
is that they are using uh, the quality level designations that are also used in the Cote d'Or just to the south. So Chablis is in Burgundy, but it is kind of like this like northern outpost of Burgundy. They're using the same uh, laws and same rules there, but for some reason it seems a little bit less daunting. <laughs> Maybe that's because it's slightly smaller and, and kind of condensed than the uh, Cote de Nuit and the Cote de Bonne, which are just to the south. Doing an episode on Burgundy, I think I've said it before, kind of makes me feel ill because it really is just so complicated. It's so hard to unpack. And I know that uh, when I do finally uh, cave and do an episode on Burgundy, that it's going to take me forever to write it. And also that Burgundy is very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. And I wouldn't want to mess it up. So partially because I know people love it and partially because I feel like I would get like the wrath of the sommelier community just, you know, like entering the comment section and being like, well, actually, it's like that, you know, and I just like, ugh, I just like don't want to have anything to do with that. So by making an episode on Chablis, I feel like I'm kind of like dipping my toe into the water, but into these like calm waters. And I'm not about to get sucked under by any like riptide uh, that is the rest of Burgundy. But I feel uh, like I said, I've been dancing around it and it might happen soon. Uh, but that said, if you are about to sit down and study Chablis or begin thinking about the wines of Burgundy, which are very complex and very expensive and incredibly nuanced, uh, the best approach is, or for me, has always been uh, to sort of tackle it from the north down uh, or the south and make your way up. Either Either way, it's nice to just kind of like cap that intense region off and like start somewhere that's a little bit more concise and condensed. Um, and after this episode, we'll have covered both. We'll have talked about Chablis and Beaujolais. So we'll have sort of like done those two uh, ending and beginning, ending or beginning points of Burgundy. So this is Chablis, and this is going to be all about uh, that northern tip of Burgundy, that access point. And really the story of the grape that we all know and we all love, and that is the story of Chardonnay, because that is all they make here. They just make Chardonnay. So I love this region. Uh, this is one of the wine regions that I knew about and I knew that I liked even before I really got into wine. Uh, I read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil uh, sometime when I was in university. And there's a character in that book called the Lady Chablis. And they're kind of this like flamboyant character who was named that because their mother always had Chablis and thought the name on the bottle was so elegant. And I didn't know anything about wine at the time, uh, but I agreed <laughs> with the characters. And I remember buying my first bottle of Chablis when I was reading that book. And I think I was I was probably like 23 or something. And I think the wine was probably around $20, which was a lot for me to be spending on a single bottle of wine at the time. Uh, but I was really dead set on having a Chablis in particular because I really, really liked that book. And I had no idea what it was. I thought the grape was Chablis. Uh, but of course, now, if you're listening to this and <laughs> you know uh, a thing or two about France, rarely is the name on the bottle the name of the grape. Uh, usually that's the name of the place, uh, much like in this instance where it is indeed the name of the village that the wine is from. So Let's start in on it. Let's start in on our favorite part to start in on, the history. 
Now, I'm not going to get fully into it here. I'm going to give a little bit of the Coles notes, mostly as they pertain to Chablis in particular, because in my sort of vision of the miniseries arc that will be a full few episodes that cover Burgundy, which are, are not coming up, this is just like a vision I have of the future, uh, I envision a whole episode on the history of Burgundy. Uh, for all of you nerds, because A, <laughs> there is a lot of it, and B, it's very complicated. And also C, I know how much you guys all like the history stuff, and I do too. So that was not a jab at nerdiness. <laughs> that was a, uh, in fact, a, a nod to to what we all love, which is lots and lots of nerdiness. But just to get us all set up uh, and ready to go for what to expect from Chablis, it's important to know that this is monk country. Uh, Anytime we're talking about wine in Burgundy, we're really talking about monks because until pretty recently, they owned everything. And we owe most of the great winemaking in this region to them. So even though the wines here can be traced back to Roman times, it's really all about the Cistercian monks who set up shop here in the 11th and 12th century. Why? Because although there was some wine being made here already, re the Romans, it was monks who brought with them Chardonnay. And after they did that, nothing was ever the same. Then, fast forward to the 15th century, this became part of the Duchy of Burgundy. And by this, I mean Chablis became part of the Duchy of Burgundy. So it was ruled over by the Burgundian dukes. And this is important because it's a very strategic area. It's great for trade, as there's many rivers that connect it to the great economic centers of France, most importantly, Paris. And for some reason, it was an important location during many French wars. Much like Champagne and Alsace, Chablis has definitely seen some combat. The thing that really launched Chablis on the market was when they started growing exclusively Chardonnay. And that was right around the time that it was taken over by the Duchy of Burgundy, right around that 15th century mark. This is when it became uh, the main wine that was drank by the well-to-do of Paris. And then, of course, by proxy, it was picked up as a wine of note by the aristocracy of England and much of the rest of nobility of Europe as well. But this was first and foremost the wine of Paris, and it really stayed that way. Chablis, due in part to its proximity, is like the ultimate bistro wine. And there are levels of Chablis, which we'll get into in just a minute, but this is like sitting on a sidewalk patio and drinking a crisp glass of white wine. Really, like that is the thing that Chablis is known for. And I think we talked about that too when we talked about Sancerre, but these two wines, aside from being different grapes, have quite a bit of overlap in terms of sort of where they fit in the popular consciousness. So like most of Burgundy, Chablis was shook up after the French Revolution, when the monastic holdings were auctioned off to landowners and you started having non-monastic wines being made for the first time in centuries. Then, of course, if we fast forward to the 20th century, Chablis was one of the wines of France that suffered a huge PR crisis in the wake of phylloxera. There was lots of counterfeiting, lots of diluted wines meant that the term Chablis didn't really mean wine from Chablis, it just kind of meant this like crisp light style white wine. It became synonymous with a style of wine and not actually the region. 
uh, and sort of gave a, a poor reputation to Chablis itself. So much of the 20th century, this was a sort of uh, PR war to reestablish the status of the world's premier, usually unoaked, crisp light Chardonnay. Even though they will never tell you that it is a Chardonnay on the bottle, it is, of course, just Chablis. So in a nutshell, that is the history of Chablis. And so we kind of pick up in the, you know, 60s and 70s when this wine really starts getting momentum on our market. Now, that's not even the real meat. The real meat here is in the classification system. What fun. So Burgundy, uh, the whole of Burgundy, which includes Chablis, has a four-tier system. And we can think of this a shocker to no one who's listened to this podcast before. We can think of it like a pyramid, as uh, we like to do here on House Wine, the pyramid of quality that keeps on giving. So firstly, we're going to start from the top down. The very top of the pyramid is Grand Cru, and those are the very best of the best wines. And this, these are physical sites as well as a designation that you can put on the bottle. Grand Cru can get a little confusing when we talk about Chablis because the Grand Cru is actually just one site that has been subdivided into seven named vineyards. And these are the best places for growing wine in Chablis. They face south so they can get the maximum amount of sun exposure because it's quite cold in Chablis. And they're also right up against the bank of the River Sirene so that they can absorb all the light that's bounced back from the water and enjoy some of the moderating temperature effects that the river brings as well. Because there are only seven, I'm going to tell you exactly what they all are. From east, or sorry, from west to east, like you were reading a book, there is Bougro, and then there is Prusse, there's Vaudsir, Grenouille, Valmer, Le Clos, and Blanchot. Grand Cru and Chablis is the designation, and then they are labeled these Grand Cru sites so that you know exactly where they're from. There are a few fun facts you can pull out of the Grand Cru's from Chablis. Uh, the largest of the Grand Cru sites, by far, is Le Clos, and they can be blended between plots so that uh, a Chablis doesn't have to be from one of the designated sites. It can just be labeled Chablis Grand Cru. And lastly, there is a monopole here. Uh, a monopole is an interesting thing. It's a plot of land that's owned by one single proprietor. And usually in most cases, encompasses the entirety of a single AOC. And there are a few of these around France for some of the smaller AOCs. Uh, we came up a couple of these when we talked about the Rhone and in the Loire, but these sort of um, come up more in areas where there's lots of small AOCs. And this comes up, of course, a lot in Burgundy because each Grand Cru uh, is its own classified AOC. So we see quite a few of them as you go more south in Burgundy. The monopole of La Mouton, which means sheep, is owned by the producer Albert Bichot. And it doesn't take up the entirety of Chablis Grand Cru, but it does take up a nice little piece of land uh, right between Prusse and Vaudsir. So La Mouton is something that you could see on a label of Grand Cru Chablis if you are a rich person who's drinking monopole Grand Cru Chablis because they're expensive but it is something that does exist. So the next tier down on our quality of our quality of pyramid, our pyramid of quality is used all over Burgundy as well uh, in the more traditional sense. And that is 
Premier Crew. And Premier Crew are their own individual sites. Chablis Premier Crew are like these little speckles all over the landscape of Chablis that are considered to be some of the best places that you can grow Chardonnay after Grand Cru. Premier Cru Chablis, though, is not all considered equal. There are some sites like those on the north bank of the river, like Monte de Tonnerre, Vaucoupin, or Forchome, that are considered to be highly sought after for their southern exposure, and therefore slightly longer daylight time uh, than those on the south bank of the river. Though there are some, like Beauroy, even though that is on the south side of the river, that are considered slightly better than some of their counterparts. Now, this is a detail that no one really needs to know, but that I think is interesting, so we're going to mention it anyway. There are in total 40 sites that can call themselves Chablis Premier Crew. However, out of these 40, only 17 may use the name of their Premier Crew site on the label. That means that there are 23 sites that just basically use the name of the site that is closest to them, which is why if you look at a map of these sites, there is a lot of places that don't have a name or don't have any name associated with them. They're just like these little colored specks that say Premier Crew. Also, Premier Crew is a designation, but it in fact, it is not an AOC. Grand Crew is an AOC, but Premier Crew is not. And that is the same throughout the rest of Burgundy as well. It is a label designation. It is a legal designation. But each individual Premier Crew site does not bear an AOC. So going down one more rung in the pyramid of quality, we have just Chablis. And this is Chablis AOC. It covers pretty much the whole of Chablis. And I wish that it was just that simple. But there is one other AOC here. And that is the AOC of Petit Chablis which is sort of the base of the pyramid. Now, this does get a little confusing because these AOCs are quite similar. The difference here is geographic, not in the style of wines that they are making. They are both making pretty much un oak chardonnay in a cool climate style. The way that I've always taught people about these two regions is that it's like a fried egg. Chablis is the yolk and the center, and Petit Chablis is the white of the egg that cradles it. And the thing that differentiates the two regions is primarily soil type. Chablis AOC, uh, which is the village-level appellation of Chablis, is defined by Kimmeridgian clay. This is a special type of soil that's made mostly from decomposed fossils of crustaceans. A lot of people like to say specifically that it's oyster shells because Chablis and oysters is such a famous pairing. Uh, but in reality, there was an ancient seabed here, and it's actually sort of a whole host of different crustacean-like creatures. The soil, though, is very important here to this area of France. This soil also makes a cameo appearance in Sancerre, and it's one of those things that if you're taking a wine test, like maybe you're taking your WSET 3, or maybe you're taking a, a CMS exam, this is a great question. They love to ask this. They love Kimmeridgean clay. They love to talk about it. It is like a classic exam question. Now, Petit Chablis is grown on Portlandian clay. And so they're both clay-based, but the difference here is that Portlandian clay is slightly more water-retentive than the Kimmeridgean clay at that center part of Chablis. And Chardonnay performs slightly better on less water-retentive soil. So overall, Chablis is considered to be slightly higher quality than Petit Chablis. And that is the main difference between the two. This, of course, though, is a generalization because there are 
lots of things that go into winemaking besides the soil that the grapes are grown on. And there is some very, very good petite Chablis out there. So it's important not to generalize too much and just be like, all Chablis is better than petite Chablis. On the other hand, if you're looking to try this style of wine, even a premier cru Chablis can start to run you up some money. And just the village level Chablis is not always cheap either. So the affordable place to start is petite Chablis if you're just looking to try these styles of wine. Now, that is pretty much the what's what of Chablis. They have a great website, by the way, with some really good maps. So if you were looking to go further or get some visual references for what this region looks like, for what those Grand Cru's look like, that will be in the show notes with the rest of my references for this episode. But before we wrap it up, let's talk about the who's who, because there are some really great producers here making some really, really outstanding wines. There are, of course, as with most regions all over the world, the wines that everyone loves to talk about that are out of reach for most of us. Uh, there are, of course, your producers making wine at a very high level, like Francois Raveneau and Dovisette, whom are easily mistaken for one another as they both have the same church, the Church of St. Martin on their label, a landmark in the village of Chablis. But these are wines that are both rare and expensive, though they are considered to be the best of the region and the best of the Grand Cru production as well. There really is something for every price point, though, in between. You can find extremely affordable Chablis from cooperatives like La Chablisienne, uh, which do make some Premier Cru wines and are usually kind of at the more affordable end of the spectrum. Um, but there is, again, a lot in between. If you're more interested in, say, organic and sustainable winemaking practices, you can look for a producer like Morono Day a very cult producer that's making wines from a full range of Chablis, everything they have to offer from uh, village level to Grand Cru, depending on what your budget can afford. And my personal standby producer uh, that I love, love, love for Chablis is Domaine Laroche. Uh, to me, the wines of Domaine Laroche taste exactly what I have a picture of Chablis tasting like in my head. It's like they took a photograph of my mental tasting note and just like replicated it into a wine. But then if you want to add even another layer into what Chablis has to offer, I told you earlier that Chablis is primarily an unoaked style of wine, but there are some producers here that are using oak. So you can end up with a rounder, fuller, toastier style of wine that you would expect more from producers uh, to the southern end of Burgundy. Burgundy? Burgundy. <laughs> And these are producers uh, like Eleni and Edouard Vaucray that are making this uh, style, this sort of oaked style. Uh, nerd aside, the barrel that they use in Chablis is called a feuillette, F-E-U-I-L-L-E-T. And uh, it only holds 132 liters, which I thought was very counterintuitive because in my mind, the smaller the barrel, the more surface area, and therefore the more oak flavor. But that is the kind of barrel that they use. And again, a lot of these producers, a lot of these high-end producers even, are making petite Chablis wines as well because they want something, they want to still fill that bistro wine market. They still want to have something to, to give to the people. So if you'd like to know more, uh, like always, all of the producers uh, will be in the show notes. And that is pretty much, I think, that for this week. 
so if you're going to scroll down and check them out, uh, please just take an extra minute and leave this podcast a rating, a review. Uh, this is 100% independent, and it really goes a long way to letting me know that you like the show and uh, gives me that motivation to continue. Of course, if you spotted something that needs correction or if you want to make a request for an episode, you can contact me on the Housewine Instagram. That's at Housewine Podcast. Uh, you can also contact me on my personal Instagram. That's at Rachel Picard. That's Rachel with an A-E-L and Picard like the captain. And of course, uh, Housewine Podcast at gmail.com if you uh, want to go the email route. I will be posting more regularly. I'm going to go to a uh, every other week on Wednesday posting schedule. And I think that will allow me to keep up regular posting and also allow me to have room to get the Instagram back up and running because I need to make more maps. Those maps, I use those maps. <laughs> I use them for my own personal use, my little animated maps. So I'm not going to disappear I promise. I've disappeared and said I'm not going to disappear again before, though, so who knows? I could still disappear. But uh, in my absence, if I do have one, go out, drink some Chablis, drink a Petit Chablis, compare it with a Premier Cru Chablis, and then drink the Premier Cru Chablis first, and then drink the Petit Chablis after, uh, and eat some oysters with it, and have fun, and enjoy the beautiful weather. And I'll see you guys again in two weeks.